Hello and welcome to another episode of the Talking City podcast here from the Manchester Evening News. I am your host Ash Barami and I am delighted to be joined again by Simon Bykowski. Hello. And Ian Cheeseman. You alright? Yeah, I'm very good. How are you? Very well. Uh, very obviously well. The, uh, the emotional roller coaster that is City never quite gets you into a position where you're completely relaxed but I'm alright. But yeah, on, on City, we'll, I think we should go straight into Tuesday night against Newcastle. It was a disappointing night for I think everyone involved City-wise. But Sai, what did you make of it? You were there covering it. It was um, it was a big blow to the title, City's title hopes. Yeah, they were dreadful, really. Um, it was sort of pitted as this chance to put pressure on Liverpool and... The uh, you know they could move within a point and up against the Newcastle side and club where they'd just been misery for quite a long time and then before kick off you get the murmurings from the uh, the northeast press pack that Newcastle have got a a record signing on the way and that of course means that Rafa is more likely to stay and I, not saying that had anything any impact on the game but Newcastle did turn up and City did not I was going to say that was very Liverpool-esque I thought you were going down that route there no no <laughs> you, you were there as well Ian I mean it was an, it was another it, I mean I think the only positive from that was obviously Liverpool failed to capitalise on it on, on a night where they probably we could look back come May and be thinking that was the turning point in terms of the title race yeah, I mean, I spoke to a Newcastle fan before, and close to the ground there's a little programme shop, and uh, and I thought, oh, I'm looking at it, said so they've got the 68 um, championship winning programme, because more um, latter-day City fans might not realise that City actually won the league at Newcastle all those years ago, and they had won 50 quid, which uh, so, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but I talked to him about the game as well, and this bloke said to me... Uh, he said, this is, these were his words virtually word for word. He said, uh, we're terrible. We've got a horrible team. We've <laughs> lost nine out of the last 12 or whatever it was. But I've just got this feeling that we're going to win today. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but I think we're going to win today. And, you know, and as he's saying all this, you sort of look at him and you think, are you off your head here or what? You know, <laughs> but he was completely convinced. And then a few minutes later, I'm stood in the reception area waiting for Dennis Stewart, who, of course, was Newcastle-born, but a great city hero. And as I'm waiting there, there's a woman with her young lad and um, her young lad is talking to a mum, but they know that I'm within earshot. So it's one of them where they're talking to each other, but sort of glancing at me because they know I'm listening. And the, the little lad says, uh, we've got no chance today, mum, have we? And she turns to him, having looked at me and smiled. And she didn't know I was a City fan or, you know, um, had any connection to City. She must have thought I was a Newcastle fan, but she just looked and she said, you know, son... Anything can happen in football. <laughs> and I just turned to her, and this was before the game, and I said, you're dead right there. Anything can happen in football. And then I hear a lot of City fans being very confident and predicting overwhelming <laughs> victories. And I'm thinking, you're tempting fate here. You know, I mean, I know City's own website were, were repeating the statistic that City had this fantastic run against Newcastle. And I thought, I think I'd be a bit more, you know, a bit more humble at this stage mm. because Newcastle are another football team who've got something to play for. And so it proved. Yeah, you mentioned statistics as well. I mean, during the game, it showed you on BT Sport, it said 12 times Newcastle have been behind the season. They've lost all 12. So wow. if you're thinking of a game where they're going to come back in, it just goes to show that stats at any point they can just stats switch. Whereas I, I would think now City have been behind three times this season and lost all three. Well, 
Um, wow, what I, a great stat. I, I, Even though I don't like stats, that's a great I, one. I can't remember a time when they've come from behind the two? to Palace, win. Pal- well, Palace, Double they went ahead. Pals. Leicester, they went ahead um, and lost 2-1. And, and that mm. is the... the the worrying thing about their defeats, I think, is that there has just been no sign of a comeback. It wasn't like City were laying siege to the Newcastle goal when they went behind. They just didn't didn't create. And you could argue that issue. if they'd drawn all those three games, you know, i.e., not collapsed, because yeah. it feels like they collapsed in in each of those three yeah. games. That three three more points would have obviously meant they were only two behind Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. I'll get both your opinions on this, but I mean, you say City have took the lead in three of them games and fell behind and lost. But what I mean, it can't. Be, you don't sense that would be complacency because you can't see Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola side becoming complacent due to obviously the nature of his style of coaching. So it, that would leave on the other side. Is it just simply a case of burnout? Are the players starting to get a bit jaded? Is, I mean, we saw Fernandinho playing against Burnley and well, I'm, people I'm, were a bit confused about that selection and obviously... Well, the, the, the different perspective I'd give on this, I'm sure Simon will have a very uh, different one again, but if you look at it from the other team's perspective, they normally go into a game against City thinking, well, this is our toughest game of the season. This is the game we don't want. This is the one we can't win. There seems to be a bit of that in the minds, which is great for City to have that against them, you know, because they've had that in the past. So they're almost beaten before they cross the white white line. They go a goal behind and they're thinking, this is it, it's all over. But then somehow from somewhere they get a goal and suddenly they think, hang on a minute, we could actually do something here. The crowd sort of react and for the first time in the game, the team becomes brave. And I felt Leicester became brave when they got level. Palace were brave throughout. And Newcastle, before their equaliser, didn't really show any signs of bravery. But once they scored the goal, then the, the crowd reacted and and they reacted and you could see it lift them massively you know it's almost as it will you know we're never going to get a goal in this game we're never going to get anything out of this game but suddenly there was a eureka moment now obviously you can look at it from the city perspective which I'll I'll let Simon do but that's how it feels to me looking well, at it from the other team's I, perspective I, I would think it is exactly that and I don't know whether the shoe is on the other foot now in terms of as City were building up this invincible you know, form last season, it came a point where teams went into the game thinking they were going to get smashed and all that. So that when City scored the first goal, it was basically game over. The other team would give up and City would comfortably win the game. I don't know whether now some teams are thinking, no, actually, we can get at this defence. And when they do, it's City who think, we're not used to this. Why are, you know, we're used to teams lying down for us and it's, you know they're they're not used to being in that position and they've not got the the answers there are a number of other factors you can bring in with injuries and various things like that but I think ultimately I think it's just it's the players finding it hard to be in a situation they're not used to being in. So, so what is it you think other teams may be seeing in City? I mean, they, they may be just be having, maybe having a go at City now, but does it mean, do you think there's certain maybe areas of, of weakness that other teams are maybe targeting at City? It's, um, it's funny, we were talking about this the other night on the way home, weren't we? Just like the system that City use and how... Pep described it the other season as a bit like um, like marionettes, like all the players are on strings and it only takes one to sort of be 
pulled out for the whole thing to collapse. And I just think if the system is a bit off, then that can make sort of the whole purpose of the team a bit redundant. Yeah, what we're saying, I suppose, is that other teams can sometimes rely on individuals. I'm not saying City haven't got those individuals, but they can rely on on individuals to drag them through games. Whereas it seems that City's way of playing is dependent on the system actually being perfect. And of course, when it is... They're, they're pretty much unbeatable. They're as good as anybody. And so therefore, any vulnerability that there might be at the back doesn't really come into play because they're so dominant in possession and so controlling of the game. And Pep's often said this, you know, that it's about keeping control of the game, that, it, that it, it's flawless. But as soon as the other team gets a, a bit of momentum, gets a bit of luck, gets whatever it might be, some reason to really believe in themselves, or it might be when they're playing against a team that's near to their level like Leon in, in the Champions League showed that they're beatable of course and Liverpool did last season um, and that doesn't augur well I suppose when you look to the latter stages of the Champions League but I'm sure we'll come to that as we get through the season but if the system isn't p- perfectly playing well then the defensive vulnerabilities of City suddenly start to be more exposed and and, and I don't think that City have a team that is built to defend so as soon as they are under pressure that's when they look vulnerable I mean in fairness though at 1-0 I mean Sterling has that chance where Sane puts it across basically across the face of the goal yeah if I mean we're talking ifs now obviously but that goes in and you do get the sense that Newcastle may May fold a 2 0 there yeah. in that spot. I mean, City did have the chance to kill the game off. Free it wasn't kick. Just, I mean, if yeah. the free yeah. kick had, had been a, a legitimate yeah. goal, and I accept completely uh, that the referee told him not to take the free kick. We can argue whether it should have been a booking, but I accept that if the referee said to De Bruyne, uh, you know, don't play till I blow the whistle, yeah. then that's and then it, it should have been disallowed. So all I'm saying is, if that goal had gone in. 2-0 then that collapse that we're used to seeing other teams do when City go ahead may well have happened but at 1-0 they were still vulnerable weren't they yeah yeah. and, and Pep said afterwards you know 2-0 the game's over but 1-0 still very much alive and he also funnily enough accused his team of tiki-taka that he's you know Ultimate often stuff. falsely accused of, of loving but he you know said it was passing without purpose he wanted them to attack an inexperienced Newcastle midfield and they just didn't they just kind of messed around with it and um, it was just a very very strange strange performance Um, and one that left you feeling like it was uh, like the title will not be theirs this season but then Liverpool go and draw and suddenly it's renewed hope again yeah we'll, we'll move on to that Liverpool Leicester game in a bit I mean do you I think st- by the way can I just ask this yeah. question I mean I don't know what my own answer is my, my wife certainly knows what the answer is to this one she thinks it's City's worst performance of the season do you think it was oh the toughest questions come from <laughs> your wife um, there. it's uh, it's up there I think Leon was Leon at home was Palace surprisingly bad as well Palace, Leicester. Um, I think they were all similar performances. I think Chelsea, they were a bit more unlucky. But um, yeah, I, I agree with my wife. I think that game on Tuesday night was the worst of the season. I think given the stakes as well, um, you know, we're used to this team sort of turning up when it counts. And uh, 
and they didn't. So. Would you say it's a worse result than Palace? Because obviously Palace was a home fixture and Newcastle was an away fixture. Newcastle, I mean, last year they beat United. They can beat teams. I'm going to give you a pep answer now. It's, uh, <laughs> it's the same three points you're playing yeah. for in any game. So I, I, get, I know where you're coming from. It's a home yeah. game and, and all the rest of it. But no, I, I think... Result, performance, whichever way you couch it, and I think that was that was the worst. But the good thing is, may, maybe the turning point. If you're looking optimistically, the turning point of the season actually becomes Leicester's equaliser in that game at Anfield. Yeah, and you sort of maybe you know in 2012 was it when they were three-one down to Sunderland and came back to three-three and. People didn't think now they're going to win the league. They thought that's two points dropped, but it turned into a very important result. And now psychologically, they've, they've not got any points from Newcastle, but they will have been lifted. You saw Kyle Walker's deleted tweet about um, yeah. about Liverpool, so which, which is fair to probably say that it wasn't him tweeting that. Yes, we must, yeah, we should probably yeah. add as well. Whoever yeah. it was shouldn't have done it. That's for sure. But um, but there will be there a few not, people not criticise Kyle Walker at Newcastle. For that as well. Yeah. But no, that Liverpool Leicester game. It's I mean, it, it's kept City in the title race. I mean, it's fair. It's fair to say. I mean, you look at seven, seven point gap. You're looking at two losses and a draw to bridge that back to goal difference. But one draw and a loss. It's put that seed of doubt in Liverpool's mind, hasn't it? Yeah. And it, and the players collectively, whether it was Kyle Walker or not, whether he should have done it or not. But that was probably a reflection of the um, the the emotion that was running through the City camp. And if we could have been looking through a keyhole somewhere and seen really what how they were reacting, um, I suspect that it was they were punching the air and and thinking we're back. You know what we 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 thought we'd blown it, and now we've got a chance again. And they've got three games coming up now, which on paper were the three tougher ones than the Newcastle if you took them as a group of four. But now they've got to really show that they want this, and they've got to really go out against Arsenal and Everton shouldn't be taken lightly either I think that's going to be a tough one and then Chelsea at the end of that sequence I mean they're all going to be tough but that is you know the, the City could be back within two points assuming that Liverpool win all get all their games as well but just by the fact that they've played Everton you know before anybody else plays so that they, they get that game played it's, it's a huge week for City I mean definitely Arsenal Sunday Everton Wednesday but I mean, coming back to Liverpool, I mean, it's almost like because I think the fact that City have obviously won it, there's people in that squad that have won it two, three times. It that benefits City more than Liverpool, who haven't won it. In the expectation on Liverpool, where none of them have, I don't think any of that squad have won. It, none of them have won a trophy in a Liverpool shirt. Like that kind of pressure. Years you sense, I mean, only in February now, over the next 14 league games, then that is going to come back for Liverpool. It's one of the first signs of mortality we've seen from Liverpool this season because they've just been outrageously good and everything has gone their way and they've used everything to their advantage. And and it was a similar performance to City, really. You know, 1-0 up after three minutes, it should have been a comfortable win. And yet something went wrong and there was an interesting piece about um, I read about Anfield on you know how it can inspire them but also it can be not that nice a place to play when everything isn't going that well and the crowd are expecting and wanting something and you know it kind of it just puts those few doubts about whether Liverpool can can carry this off if they play like they've played the majority of this season they will but it, it 
just makes it interesting, doesn't it? And like you say, with if if they can get the result that puts them within two points, um, Liverpool's game in hand to catch up is at Old Trafford on the day of the League Cup final. So that could be a very interesting day. You get you get the sense as well with Liverpool that you think an injury to maybe one of their key players would affect them more going into the end of the season than it would for City. I mean, City, you take if De Bruyne gets injured, you can always put someone else there. But I think if City, if Liverpool lose Mohamed Salah or Virgil van Dijk, for example, then they're that would hurt them more than would hurt City. So, I mean, in terms of squad depth, it suits City as well in that regards. But on that game as well, I mean, at half-time we saw that what happened with the with the pitch. I mean, I don't know if you saw it, Si, you've maybe seen it on Twitter. But I, I thought it was a nonsense at it first. Was I thought bizarre, it was just like nothing. But then I, I read that um, Liverpool had like an official position on why they had only cleared the snow in what, one what, what was that, what was one, that? I, don't, I don't know about that uh, it was something to do with health and safety with the cop I think that it's supposed to be a bit of a dip in the pitch or yeah. something, which is nonsense because they relayed it and everything <laughs> but the, the only, you know they thought they would prioritise one end and it was that one so yeah bonkers did they say this after the game or before the game yeah after the game I don't no, know if of course um, they did uh, Stu Brennan asked them for comment or what but uh, but yeah that was the response I was quite staggered that it was worth a response but it, yeah it turns out it's a seen the response it's, he's a, it's a legitimate thing I thought it was just a silly uh, you know like the the grass being too too long at the Etihad but no, strange. I didn't actually watch the game, I must admit, and uh, that's me, City fan. I thought, yeah, I can't stand City <laughs> watching this game after being Newcastle the night before and watching the sort of, you know, the, uh, the the loving that there would be on TV and and Liverpool winning 4-0 or something and doing the parade after the game. So I decided not to watch it. So I didn't actually see it at the time. I've obviously seen the reaction to it and everything. And well done to Stuart for uh, for prompting Liverpool to, to give a, re- a response. But I find it disgusting, actually, that Liverpool will only clear one goal mouth and it's the cop end which they're attacking in the second half. I mean, why is there not more... Home advantage, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but imagine if City had done that. Just imagine if City had done the same thing. The outrage that there would have been in, in I don't know, the media from, and, and from fans and everything like that, it would have been well over the top. Mm. Um, I, I'm, I'm not quite sh- Well, I do know why, but, you know, I don't, don't know quite how they get away with such little scrutiny on that sort of thing. Yeah. And moving on, I mean, one thing I was, one thing I was thinking of when you were talking there, uh, Ian, was the City Academy. I mean, I was, I was I saw something on yesterday on Twitter that in the last three, four years, the City have gained 150 million transfers on youngsters, which it's a crazy amount, isn't it? Isn't it? So, I mean, it's it's something that I mean, City do get criticised for not playing youngsters, not giving Ford a chance or this player or that player chance but you, you've got to give credit to City for their academy and for the players they are starting to produce yearly you do but at the same point I don't think we should say oh City Academy is fantastic look at 150 million because the, but, but that's, the that's point like, remains that they still haven't brought yeah. brought players through to the first team other than other than Foden, you know, you can you can raise that 150 million is valid to raise up if you're responding to someone who's just saying City's Academy is terrible. But they're two very separate branches. Mm-hmm. They've done really well at getting money for for players that haven't made that many appearances. And you know, 11 million for Matondo is 
fantastic. But equally, you know, they're not doing anywhere near as well at bringing players through to the first team, which is a lot harder. But I think you've kind of got to balance both and not forget about either one. The other side of that argument would be that having raised that amount of money, um, you know, you can go out and buy Riyad Mahrez in the summer and whilst the headline is 60 million, if you've sold Kelechi Inacio for 25 to Leicester, one of those players who didn't play that many games but got a great reward from, and similarly Jaden Sancho's moved on, Raheem Diaz, Rabi Matondo, little bits of deals that they've done here and there, perhaps loan fees that we could add into that equation. Uh, and bear in mind that FFP is still something that you know sees clubs and particularly City under enormous scrutiny. You know, you can actually, uh, by creating this money from the academy, um, finance some of those deals or certainly take uh, big chunks out of it. Now, that is, you might argue, a quite a cynical way of looking at it. And, and ideally, we all want to see young players come through. And I must admit, I looked at, at Rabbi Matondo and, and thought, what an exciting player. I hope he carries on developing. And his move to Schalke is a big disappointment for me because I thought he had great potential. But it comes back to the same thing we've said many times before, which is getting into this City team, which is the best City team in the club's history, is not easy. So it doesn't matter how good you are as a kid. You know, you, City can't afford to just have players in there just just to please everybody and to say, oh, yeah, look, he's from Stockport or he's come from, from uh, you know, the academy. You can't, you can't do that because as much as everybody cheers at the young players when they make cameo appearances or whatever... If they were playing regularly and City were losing, people would be calling for head of Pep. Or they'd be, you know, because even after the Newcastle came, apparently, I didn't see it much, but, you know, there were the, some fat City fans were saying, time for him to go. And you mm. think that this is how on a knife edge football fans are. So imagine if the, the team was full of youngsters from the academy. And we'd all be oh, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, but you're halfway down the table and you just lost yeah. to, it, it, it doesn't, the two things don't tally. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it is sliding doors, but a, a penny for the thoughts of Riyad Mahrez, who was bought in summer as a record signing and not only didn't start against Newcastle, but was not any of the three players trusted to come on and change the game. Now, Jaden Sancho left for Dortmund because City made it clear they were signing Alexis Sanchez to add further competition to the, the wide players. Now, Sanchez didn't come so City signed Mares instead now I'm not saying Jaden Sancho would be now brilliant and an integral part of City's first team but it's hard not to see Mares sitting on the bench and think that is a transfer that has really paid off over the yeah. last eight well, months where do you think City stand with Mares now I mean is it do you think he do you think he has a long long term future? Oh yeah, yeah. And funnily enough, I think not coming on the other night will probably help him because now he's maybe in the the running for these big games against Arsenal and Chelsea, whereas he'd been kind of displaced for the Liverpool game. He's not had much Premier League football um over the last month or six weeks. So, you know, I suppose he might come back in. It it, it it's it's too early to judge his, his city career, but but at the same time he was brought in as a proven winner and um, at the minute he's uh, he's found it difficult to get Sterling or Sane out of the team. Yeah, so we're going to have a quick break right now. 
maybe 20 second break so get yourselves a drink or anything and come back with us after the break where we'll preview the Arsenal and Everton game Hello and welcome back to the Talking City podcast where we are looking at now previewing the Arsenal fixture this weekend this Sunday afternoon Ian I'll bring you in on this one I mean it's um it's, it's almost like a bit of like a it's a pesty fixture, isn't it? I mean, for for City because I mean Arsenal. I mean, there's a, recently on deadline day they just went and bought Denis Suarez, who also was ex City. Do you have any memories of him? Yeah, I mean he's a, a player that, like so many of them that came through the academy, thought yeah he could be all right him, but we never actually got the chance to see whether he would fulfil that potential. I haven't fo- I haven't followed his career as closely as. Uh, as w- w- would give me any sense of expertise on what he's done since, but obviously he's he's moved to big a big club um, and and by all accounts has done all right. Even though I think he's been a bit in and out uh, rather than been a regular. Um, but if Arsenal are interested in him, I respect Arsenal, respect their manager, um, then. They obviously think he's developing or has developed very well. Uh, it would just be City's luck for him to play against them, of course, um, hmm. on Sunday and score the winning goal or something. Hmm. He is a number 10, essentially, isn't he? He's a sort of player who, you know, is a creative midfield player just behind the strikers. Um, so uh, he, he could be involved in something like that. But my way of looking at the Arsenal game is that City's... This is an ideal game for City to play against because Arsenal will play football. And I think City's game is more suited to uh, you know there's no question in my mind that when they're on on form particularly um, that player for player um, City are better than Arsenal and so therefore if you're just going to go head to head and try and match each other then City should come out on top against Newcastle City were far superior but that wasn't what undid them in the end it was Obviously, it was a it was a bit of a panic at the back with the penalty I and mean, misplaced pass and not knowing how to deal with it and and um, Rondon being big, powerful, you know, and and City can be vulnerable to that power and 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 size and I don't think Arsenal have that as a threat. I think that's more likely to be a threat against Everton next Wednesday uh, and maybe even Chelsea in the third of these three games. So if I was looking at one of the three, it's tempting fate that I would say this is the idea game for City to play right now to get themselves confident and going forward again it is the Arsenal game Yeah Si do you expect a City backlash this weekend? I think so um, it, I'm so convinced Well <laughs> I mean it, it, it was a very good January for them for much of the month but then the Burton the second leg of the Burton game was kind of a misnomer because the team was changed so much they weren't great at Huddersfield um, and then some stern words at half time sparked them into that 10 minute spell that saw them win the game and then they were very much worse against Newcastle so you would hope and expect that a better performance will be coming this Sunday it'll be very interesting to see see the team how many people retain their places after Newcastle Um yeah, on, on the team as well I was going to ask as well I mean you've got I mean this is going to be was it three games in a week for Fernandinho do you do you sense that Pep might change that almost a defensive midfield position and no. maybe have you think he'll, no. you think he'll start Fernandinho I think he'll start Fernandinho every game until the end of the season if he can because he's kind of the one the one rock they can rely on he did mess up at Newcastle for the penalty but he got dealt a bit of a hospital situation from Danilo who had his worst game in 
recent memory. So I'd expect Fernandinho. And the Leicester and Palace games were both when Fernandinho was absent and now obviously played at Newcastle. Yeah. So, the, you know, that defence doesn't really work, does it? But I still think, although, although clearly everybody had an off day at Newcastle and Fernandinho wasn't exempt to that, um, I still think he was actually one of City's better players on the day. And although he gave the penalty away, um, if you trace it back, as you said, to the Danilo pass, um, Fernandinho, I suppose, could have put it in row Z or something, but it, that isn't his nature. That's not the way City play. Um, and I still think Fernandinho played played all right in that game. And, and I know he's not young. He's not a spring chicken. And we always go on about, oh, he turns 34 in May, turns 30. But he's incredibly fit. Yeah. Like, in games, he looks like he could run for another 90 minutes. And when you speak to him after games or whenever and you talk about him having a rest that's when he sort of his lip curls a bit and he, he's really not impressed at the idea of rest he wants to play every game and he's got the fitness to play play most of them so. you didn't know how old he was you'd look at him and you'd say he's yeah. about 27 wouldn't you yeah. maybe not yeah. 23 but, but I might look at him and think 27 yeah <laughs> I think well, he's got a painting in the attic <laughs> I think um, Torre said last season or the season before like he'd know when it was time to give up when he couldn't keep up with Sterling's and Sane's and all these young guns coming through and Fernandinho can can definitely still keep up with them yeah and also I mean speaking of Fernandinho it looks like City the only transfer deal they did finish on deadline day was Antip Palaversa, did I get that right? Yes, yeah. I get it right. Yeah, see, I got one, got one better than Rich. That's better <laughs> than Bykovsky when you say yeah, his name. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. say that. No, you got better F10 oh, yeah, that yeah, name course, than you yeah. did at yeah. Simon's. Yes, <laughs> comes with factors. But, um, no, um, Anti Palaversa. I mean, I mean, I watched. I watched a couple of videos on one yesterday. I mean, he looks like he's a big six foot one plus for this 18, 19 year old. He's looks technically good. He almost fits in. Could fit into that mould come come the future. What do you make of him? Uh, is it wrong to say that I don't really care? Um, <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's what, he's staying at his club for another 18 months? Yeah. Is it 18 months at the end of the season? Um, I thought it was till cr- I, the end I, of 2019. Thought, so it's sort of a year from now he might. The, the Unless their season's finished differently. 2019. I thought it was the end of the season, I thought. Right. But, well, he's going to be there for a while. We can agree yeah, on that. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, when he comes, let's have a conversation. But, yeah. you know, Douglas Louise was going to be the one that stepped in for Nandinho and oh, not, he's not actually good enough to stay with the squad. Claudio Gomez was going to put pressure on. Oh, wait, he can't actually make the teams in... He can't actually get in the youth teams at the minute on form. Um, so, you know, we always try and say this is going to be the Fernandinho replacement and we've we've not been proven right yeah. yet. So I'm just um, going to have a rest from this one, I think. What, what do you make <laughs> of him, Ian? I don't know enough about the, the, the lad that they looked at and, and whilst, you know, it's good that you've looked at the videos, I've made that mistake in the past and watched your reels on YouTube and thought, oh, he looks good. And then when the reality hits and you see them in a game, it's never quite the same as the best bits you see on video. Um, so I'll, I'll judge when I see. But, you know, Simon's right about the other two players that have been, you know, brought in. One of them couldn't get a work permit. Uh, I'll, and I haven't seen either of them playing much. I mean, Gomez was, was a player we have seen a little, little bit of. But uh, no, they seem a million miles away at the moment. And... Um, 
And it still feels to me as if during the summer, City are going to go out and sign somebody who is a senior uh, backup stroke replacement for Fernandinho. Yeah, and I mean, you've got, I know I never want to guess a Pep Guardiola team selection, but from Sunday to Wednesday, what sort of changes would you expect to see, Si? And what, in what kind of positions? Is this from Would, from Arsenal to Everton? Are we yeah, thinking? Arsenal to Everton, yeah. Um, I don't know if he might go go Mares on Sunday and then Sane at Everton, perhaps. Um, I mean, he's got a, an Aguero and Jesus decision to make, which is which is nice. Uh, I think it'll be too soon still for Mendy to to come back in. Um, we talk as well about Gabriel Jesus every week but I mean when when he does lately whenever he's played I mean he's, he's delivered hasn't he he's, yeah he's always come up with the goods so I mean you would you, do you think you'd you'd expect to see maybe one or the other in one of the two games maybe yeah I think so I think so um, I think he'll probably stick with Aguero for Arsenal and then maybe Jesus for Everton um, but Jesus looks back to the happy deadly self that he was in his, his first six months year here which is which is a big positive do you think anything's changed on that regard do you think he's just because just he's fit now or well he um, he sort of struggled when his his family and friends didn't come back over mm. um, and then it was kind of no surprise they were over for December and Christmas and that's when he really sparked up and the challenge was then you know when they went back after Christmas how do you how do you keep that motivation but he, he seems to have seems to have managed it so um, hopefully that's something that he's learned from it's funny because I'm I'm, I'm going to go the opposite way to not not disagreeing with what you just said Simon but dis- in terms of team selection but who knows I can't help thinking that Jesus might get the nod against Arsenal and then Aguero starts at Everton and the reason for that is that first of all Aguero played in the game in midweek and he might want to freshen things up the manager secondly I think it suits Jesus playing in home games especially when you dominate possession and Aguero is better suited if maybe on fine lines here to being in that away game type thing where you, you you need an individual to produce a bit of magic whereas Jesus is a player who benefits from the team playing really well and being on the end of things it's not often that you see him suddenly produce a bit of magic and a goal whereas Aguero can do that so I wonder whether Aguero might be the choice at Everton and Jesus might be the, uh, the choice against Arsenal and on that base I'd also say Sane, he might not do this, but my choice would be to play Sane against Arsenal. And if you're going to bring in Mares, you do it at Everton because at Everton it's about keeping, you know, an away game when, when they are wanting to wrestle more possession, keeping possession and whatever you think of Mares's pluses and minuses. And there's obviously big debate on how successful or not he's been so far. One of his assets is that he keeps possession, um, you know, and can control the football. The, the threat that we've, we used to see from him at Leicester isn't quite as evident at, at City now, but in terms of keeping possession, I wouldn't question that so much. So I think that might be a better option. But it'll be interesting to to see what he does against Arsenal. Certainly, as to who do we get clues then as to who he's blamed for what happened at Newcastle? Be interesting to see which fullbacks he picks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That is a, a you know, does he pick Danilo again? You know, is Danilo going to be, you know, out the team and in comes Fabian Delph or Zinchenko? 
Zinchenko or does he go with Danilo Laporte at, right at left back or something? He could play Danilo at right back and Danilo. and Kyle Walker could get binned. I mean, there's all sorts, isn't there? Laporte at left back. I mean, he, he, proved, he played there against Liverpool, didn't he? And he proven himself. So you'd, you'd imagine that. Yeah. If he can do it against Liverpool, he would be able to do well, it against Arsenal. The only issue is you take him out of the middle. And, and, and I think mm. at home, I think it suits more having attacking fullbacks. I think I can see Laporte again working perhaps at Everton at left back. Played I'm not there, keen on played it. there at Everton last season. I didn't think he, he did, yeah. yeah. But I'm not keen on Laporte being moved out for the no. very same reason that Simon's saying because he is at the moment because company's not not fit. City's best out and out defender, and mm. you want so you want him in the middle, don't you? I guess what whatever happens, I mean, we're never going to guess what Pep will do. No. It'll probably be the opposite of what we've just sat and predicted well, we've, here. we've come up with the opposite, so one of us will be right. Yeah. Still, it, might, it might even be the same team that he played against yeah. Newcastle, so yeah, we'll still, still yeah. be wrong. But, well, it remains to be seen. I mean, we'll have you covered here at the MEN for all everything City and on the Talking City podcast so thank you guys for joining me I think we'll be back we should be back sometime before that Everton game I mean it's not till Wednesday night so if you're around Simon and Ian we'll do this again maybe Monday or Tuesday maybe Maybe. let's look at dates I'm we'll, here at your beck and call <laughs> we'll uh, get the calendar out once we've stopped recording thank you for joining us if you haven't already subscribed to us on ACAS, be sure to do so. You'll get all the podcasts straight into your notifications. So thank you for joining us and see you next week.